God is good? Okay, uh, let me teach you something. When someone says God is good, you say all the time. God is good? And all the time? Awesome. So that's going to be your Christian greeting for this week. Whenever you meet someone, just tell them God is good. And then they have to reply back all the time. Uh, Thank you, uh, Pastor Larry and, and the elders for this opportunity to preach this morning or to speak or to share my testimony. And also last night we had a very wonderful time here. Uh, A lot of people gave a lot of money uh, to go out and help those who are missionaries around the world. And we were one of the beneficiaries of that uh, giving. So thank you so much, church. Uh, Before I start, I'd like to introduce my wife, the most beautiful woman in this sanctuary. Uh, Everybody has an opinion that's mine. And it's the, the true opinion. So please stand up, babe. I want them to see how beautiful you are. Uh, that's my wife. Uh, we have uh, two children. They're in Sunday school, BJ and Angela. Angela is nine. BJ is six. And then we have a, a guest. Uh, maybe, Betty, you can just wave. Uh, she's staying with us from Kenya. She is heading uh, the women's ministry of our, uh, the women's uh, part side of our ministry. And she's here with us for this month, and she's leaving next Sunday. So thank you so much. One, one of the things that I, I like about being in America is the questions that people ask me. Uh, one time I was in Texas, and, and this uh, young lady, 16 years old, uh, had my accent, and she had never had an accent like mine before. So she asked me, where are you from? I said, I'm from Kenya. And, and she asked, what is that? Uh, and I said, uh, that is a country in Africa. I say, do you live in houses? I say, no, we don't live in houses. We live on trees. And uh, <clears throat> so I have fun with this. And whenever, whenever, we, are, whenever we are born, uh, my father planted a tree for me. So when I became 18, I moved to my own tree. <laughs> and she was so, so, uh, she's like, really? That's cool. <laughs> I said, yes, that's really cool. And what's cool, I have a pet zebra, you know? <laughs> and that was her favorite part of the story. So, um, so if you're thinking about uh, what happens in Africa, that there it is, so we can move on to other things. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, you're a good God. Thank you. Kumana jinsi mungu waliupenda ulimwengu, ataka mtuwa mwanae wa pekee, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And Father, we, we are truly honored to worship you this morning, a God that is concerned about the world. And because of that, sending your son Jesus Christ to come and die for us, the whosoevers. So thank you for that privilege. Thank you this morning that uh, we can worship you and we can hear the testimony of what you're doing, not only here in Northwick, but around the world. And to behold many that have gone out in your name. What a wonderful privilege. And we ask that, Lord, you bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The best weapon that you have in your arsenal of evangelism is the testimony of your changed life. 
There's nothing that will speak the gospel more powerfully to the watching world like the testimony of a changed world, a changed life. I was uh, listening to Jane talk here, and I am so blessed that you're just an ordinary person. Sometimes people think of missionaries and they, they picture this complicated human being that is able to eat anything, live anywhere, and wear anything that is put in front of them. But you see, Jane is just a normal young lady that went out because God said go. And so the testimony that God has given us is so powerful. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. I used to go to a church in Kenya where for every service people will come in and we sit around the table and everybody will give their testimony. And once in a while we'll have someone who comes in as a new believer and we would ask them to share their testimony. And it was so encouraging to hear what God was doing in the midst uh, of us. And so uh, this week, uh, during the small group uh, time, could you please just take time, don't discuss my testimony, share your own testimonies. And just uh, sit around and listen to how God is working in the lives of people. Now do me a favor, look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. I always want the pastor to tell me that. So look at the person next to you. Do you know them? Do you know them? If you know them, say yes. yes. If you don't, say no. Oh, wow, everybody is sitting close to someone they know. <laughs> <laughs> that person is sitting next to you is a family member. Whether, whether you're married to them or you're their son or their daughter, doesn't matter. But in Christ, we are all family members, amen? amen? And let us make an effort to know who our family members are. Because family members know one another. And if you don't know, and if you, if you, if you don't know their testimony, the testimony of how they came to Christ, please make an effort. God is still saving people around the world. We don't talk about that as much as we used to. But when we hear the testimony of what God is doing around the world, it's very, very encouraging because there is nothing that will speak the gospel more powerfully to the watching world like the testimony of a changed world. So this morning, I wanna lead by example. I wanna share my testimony of how I came to know this Jesus. And my salvation story is actually a missionary story. And since this morning is a missions Sunday, I think that's very appropriate. I was born in the southern parts of Kenya in the port city of Mombasa long time ago. My family was an unbelieving, they were nominal Christians. I remember on Sunday we were forced to go to church and my, my parents would push us to go to church and then they would remain home. But the, the closest church that was in our, our, our community, our neighborhood was a, 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 small, a little Catholic church. And so every Sunday we would go to this Catholic church and uh, we didn't go because we loved Jesus, we went because of peer pressure peer pressure from uh, friends and uh, pressure from parents because not going to church, uh, there was consequences for that and they were not pleasant. And so we went to church because of that. Now, Sunday in Kenya is a, is a church going day. Was then and is still today, on Sunday everybody dresses up nicely and they go to church. 
So at the age of about six or seven years old, a CEF missionary by the name Miss Louise moved into our neighborhood. She was from Syracuse, New York. And really, she didn't come to Kenya. She had gone to Burundi, but because of civil unrest, she came to Kenya to wait it out. And while she was there, she moved into our neighborhood and began a Bible club for children. But there was a little problem. Miss Louise didn't speak Swahili, and little Kenyan boys, like myself, didn't speak English. So you can imagine the dilemma if you're gonna share the gospel with people and you, you can't speak their language and they can't speak yours. But she became creative pretty quickly, and she used uh, flannel charts to teach us Bible stories. Now, if you're here and you've never seen this before, this is what is called the old people PowerPoint, okay? <laughs> So if you went to Sunday school and this is how you were taught, you are officially old. <laughs> you have to realize that uh, in, the, in the early 80s in Kenya, there were no color TVs and color pictures were difficult to come by, especially the quality with which Miss Louise was teaching us uh, with. So it was a big deal for us seeing these color pictures every, every week. Now, every Wednesday, Miss Louise would drive her little VW Beetle around the neighborhood. And she will pack as many kids as she could in that vehicle and drive us to her home and then go back and pick up some more kids and bring them. It was one of the things that I and most, the, most kids in our neighborhood looked forward to every week. It was an awesome. We didn't only get to see colored pictures, we get to ride in a car. At the end of every Bible, uh, Bible club session, Miss Louise would make an altar call. And not knowing what she was saying, I would walk to the front and sit in the little bench and be prayed for. At the end of the prayers, we received cookies, candy, and stickers. And so I didn't walk the proverbial aisle every Wednesday for Jesus. I walked it for cookies, candy, and stickers. And so for many Wednesdays, many weeks, many months, many years, I got saved every week without knowing. <laughs> so if you think you are saved, think twice. I am very saved. <laughs> I am very saved. In 1993, at the end of my first year in high school, I was tricked into going to a Christian camp. Tricked. And this time, the lure was not stickers, candy, and cookies. It was food, girls, and a week away from home and parents. Now, what 15-year-old wouldn't want that? To eat around girls away from parents. I found myself in this Christian camp in a very unfamiliar territory. Christian singing, Christian praying, Christian jumping and dancing. Now, if you've been to a Pentecostal African worship service, you know that this is not a safe place for saved people, <laughs> and, uh, unsaved people. And so I was there, and I felt so out of place. But... I could keep up with these little Christian inconveniences because there was food, 
there was girls and I was away from home. So something very interesting as the week progressed happened. When I finally settled down to begin to listen to these charismatic, fired preachers preach, there was a strange familiarity with what they were saying. I felt like I knew the stories that they were talking about. I had never read the Bible in my life, but I felt like I knew everything they were saying. As they were speaking, the Bible stories with the flannel charts kept on playing in my head. And so the flannel stories and the word of God in a language that I couldn't, I couldn't understand became, became infused in my head and I began to understand clearly what they were talking about. I was increasingly interested in what they were saying. And I heard for the first time that this man that was hanging on this cross in these pictures actually was Jesus. And that he came to die on this cross because of my sins. And that all people had sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that the punishment or the, the wages of sin was death, eternal separation from God. And that he had come he had suffered, he had bled, he had died, and he had rose again. And if I put my faith in this Jesus, that I can live with God in heaven forever. When the altar call was called on that evening, without hesitation, I walked to the front, knelt on my knees, and the preacher prayed for me to receive Jesus as my savior. That evening, November 1993, I asked Jesus, to come into my heart and save me. And he did. And this time, I didn't need stickers, candy, or cookies. All I had was Jesus. And he is awesome. So I asked the camp counselor, what do Christians do? And he says, Christians go to church. So I said, okay, I'll go to church. So I went to church every day. Every single day I went to church. Now, in, a, in Kenyan church, there is something always going on in church. On Monday of a choir practice, I would go to church, I'd sit behind, and I'd, I'd watch these guys practice their singing because I can't sing to save my life. And I would, I would see them sing. On Tuesday, there'll be Sunday school teachers meeting. I would go, and they'll meet over there, and I'll sit in a corner there and just watch them meet. And on Wednesday, there was something else. On Thursday and on Friday was uh, the peak of the week. It was something called Kesha, which is overnight meeting. And so you go to church and you pray the whole night. And I would go to church and I would sleep the whole night, you know. Uh, in the morning on Saturday, it would be youth washing the church and wash the church. On Sunday, we had three services. I'd go to all of them. And so needless to say, after one year, I got really tired. I realized that going to church every day was not something that excited me, nor did I want to do this for the rest of my life. So I left the church and joined a group of bad boys. They were literally called bad boys. And I led this life of a rebellious teenager for one year. Now during this time, God was still working. He sent another missionary, and this time he sent a young man called Chris Bransford. And Chris came and moved into our neighborhood. And I would look at this guy, he was six foot, well-built, white American man. 
And every 6 a.m. in the morning, without fail, I would see this guy walking our neighborhood. And, I, and, and his lips were moving. And I'm thinking, Kevin, just stand up. Kevin, stand up. He was like this guy over here. He was like Kevin, exactly like that. <laughs> so you can imagine Kevin walking around in our neighborhood, lips moving. He's the only white guy. And I'm thinking, I didn't think there was white crazy people. <laughs> but there was one. Chris Bransford. So Chris and I met, became friends, and uh, he asked me, are you saved? I said, yes, I'm saved. Do you have a Bible? I said, yes, I have a Bible. Uh, no, no, I don't have a Bible. So he gave me a Bible, uh, NIV study Bible and NIV Bible, so two Bibles, and he asked me to read them, and then we're going to meet every uh, week once, which I excitedly agreed to that proposal. I wanted to meet with Chris. So I began to read the Bible for the first time in my life. I'd never read the Bible before. And what was supposed to be a once a week meeting became an everyday meeting. Because as I read the Bible on my own, I was like the Ethiopian eunuch. How can I understand unless somebody shares this with me? Now, let me just encourage you for a minute. Pastor Larry stands up here every Sunday, and he is one of the most talented, most greatest Bible expositors I know in my life, and I know many. And he opens the Bible and he exposits it so well. That is not normal. Amen? That is not normal. Two, over two million pastors around the world don't have Bible training. Two million, over two million pastors. So this day in church, in Kenya and most countries, church, church is over. But they sat under a man who had never sat one minute in a seminary classroom. And so when I say that I read the Bible for the first time and I really enjoyed it, I thought, Chris, I can't meet with you once a week. We need to meet every day. And for one year, we met every day. Chris left Kenya and went to Uganda. And before his departure, he gave me two packs of cassette tapes with Tommy Nelson teaching First and Second Timothy series. I listened to these tapes, and uh, this man, Tommy Nelson, and uh, I put the tapes up here so, so you can see them, because that's not normal anymore. You all have, uh, okay, you can go to the tapes. Tapes. You all have CDs. No, CDs are out of date. Flash drives and all that. We used to have tapes. So if you played these tapes again, you are officially old. <laughs> but that aside, I would listen to these tapes, and I was floored and amazed at how awesome a Bible expositor Tommy Nelson was. And I listened to First Timothy. I would rewind, forward, pause, and write everything he said. And I would take my notes and I would go teach anybody that would listen to me in church and my friends. And they thought I was the best Bible teacher in the country of Kenya. <laughs> but they didn't know why, because I kept the source of my knowledge a secret. <clears throat> After about a year of doing this, I was coming towards the end of my preaching stash and my secret was about to be blown. 
So I boarded a bus and rode 25 to 30 hours from Mombasa all the way to Jinja, Uganda. And this was where Chris lived at this time with his young family. I got off the bus, tired, hungry, and, and having not showered for two days. Those of you who have been in Africa and have been in these buses, even for an hour, you know that that's not a very good experience. For those who have not had that experience, I recommend that you have it. It's an experience that you cannot have anywhere else in the world, only in Africa. So I got there, and I went to a, I walked to a nearby phone booth, and I called Chris. And uh, I said, Chris, I'm here. Of course, he was surprised that I called him, and even more surprised that I was in Ginger, and I didn't tell him I was coming. Now, note to self, if you want to go visit an American, please tell them in advance that you're coming, because <laughs> Americans don't like to People surprised him like that, so I surprised him. I showed up in, in, in another country and told him, Chris, I have packed my belongings, I have moved from my country, I've come to Uganda and I'm not leaving until you teach me the Bible to a point where I can teach it like Tommy Nelson. <laughs> a proposal that uh, Chris graciously declined <laughs> and suggested that we write their Tommy Nelson an email. Now, let me tell you something about Tommy Nelson. Tommy Nelson believes that computers are the devil. Now, until today, he still believes that. He still writes letters with a pen and a paper. Uh, he still has a library with books. Uh, he has no computer. Everything that he does is still manual. And so this was Chris's nice way of telling me, you know, you need to leave. Uh, and I don't have a, a nice way to tell you to leave. So that was his nice way of telling me to leave. But by God's grace, uh, we wrote uh, Tommy an email. And in two uh, days, or three days, Tommy's wife, uh, Teresa Nelson, replied the email. And she said, Tommy says, if you are who Chris says you are, come to America, and we're going to give you all the training that you need. So for the next one and a half years, through near miraculous experiences and circumstances, I got my passport, I got my visa, and I got my uh, uh, money to come to America. Now, this is a whole other God-sized story that if you want to hear, you can buy me barbecue and I can tell you the rest of it. <laughs> I have to eat. I'm a poor, I'm a, I'm a poor seminary student, so... <laughs> anyway, in June of 2001, I boarded a plane for the very first time. And it was British Airways 747. Now, if you've ever been to a, in a plane before and, the, and your first experience is the British Airways 747 plane, that's a pretty awesome experience. And I'm sitting there and they're talking about all these safety procedures and I'm listening so keenly, you'll think that there's a midterm exam after that, you know. <laughs> it was so awesome. In fact, uh, I didn't say this in the first service, but I refused to eat because I thought that if you ate in the plane, you have to pay for the food. You know, so I, I, I they'll come with the food and say, no, I don't want it. And then I realized somewhere midway that you don't pay for the food, and I ate my share, my, my good share, you know. But anyway, and then, if that wasn't enough, the first place I learned to in America is JFK Airport in New York. It was huge. It was clean. Very clean. How many of you have been to an African airport? Now, when I say JFK is clean, you know what I mean. It's really clean. 
It was like nothing I'd never, I'd never, seen, I'd never seen before. So I flew from JFK to Atlanta airport. And in my amazement, my awe and wonder, looking around, I missed my plane. So they decided to put me in a hotel and they put me in Ramada Inn. Now, I thought Ramada Inn was five-star hotel. I was so happy to be in Ramada Inn. My wife tells me that if I go back again, I wouldn't think that Ramada Inn is a five-star hotel. But I, was, I still want to go back to Ramada Inn just, for, just to, to relieve those experiences. Anyway, uh, the next morning, uh, I got to Dallas, Texas, DFW, another very great airport. I got to a phone booth, and I called uh, Denton Bible, and I told them, I'm here. And they say, what do you mean you're here? Again, Americans like a little bit of notice before you show up in their country. <laughs> and so in two hours' time, they scrambled the transportation and brought me back to the church. That's, a, again, another whole God-sized story, second lunch. <laughs> Mexican food this time. So I stayed in Denton. Uh, I got trained uh, both through the Denton Bible uh, Young Guns uh, Men's Discipleship Program. And then after that, I joined the Missionary Training Institute. And at the end of my training in May of 2004, they asked me to go to Kenya and start the ministry that we do right now through their church, which I happily accepted. I went to Kenya in 2004. And I met, uh, uh, I, I started this ministry of teaching, training pastors and church leaders. Let me say something about this. Chris is no longer in Kenya, but I am back in Kenya training my own people. The best missionary in any given culture is a godly, well-trained person from that culture. So as you guys go out into the mission field, look for that guy. Look for your Dennis, and you train them because when, they, when you leave, they're going to stay there. Amen? Amen? That's a missiology one-on-one. I won't even charge you for that. <laughs> but during my time there, I met my wife, Alison. Another God-sized story, and because this is a, a, a beautiful story, steak dinner. <laughs> so I have three dinners, dinner dates. I can tell you about how I go to America. I can tell you about how I met my wife. And I can tell you many other things, just buy me food. Yeah. <laughs> a year before returning to Kenya, I boarded a plane and I flew to Syracuse, New York. I visited Miss Louise in Syracuse. At this point, she had battled cancer, had double mastectomy, broken hip, and a whole load of other health complications. But she was still Miss Louise. The joy of Jesus was still beaming through her face the same way I remembered it. She took me around Syracuse and showed me off to anyone that would want to see me and told my story. I was a glorious experience. Before I left, she gave me two pictures of me as a little boy in Bible club. Some of my precious possession that I, I, I have in this world is to see me there just happy as happy can be completely stupid, not, know, not knowing what's going on, but I was happy. And I, I on, the, on the last day before I left, 
I told Miss Louise, I don't know how many times you went to bed asking yourself, did these kids get it? I couldn't speak the language, they couldn't speak my language, did they get it? I told Miss Louise, I'm here to let you know that your labor in the Lord was not in vain. We got it. We had long hugs, tearful goodbyes, not knowing that that would be the last time that I would see her on this earth. In June of 2006, she passed away. But I was so happy that I did that, that she saw that. She passed away with nothing in her life. Christians, I cannot think of anything better than leaving behind, when you go to heaven, a life that has been touched by your life for the kingdom of heaven. Miss Louise died without a child. She wasn't married. She had, she had no husband. She had no worldly wealth, but she died rich. You know why? There are many children that are, that are now men and women in Kenya. Most of them are pastors and in full-time ministry because of the ministry of this woman that could not speak Swahili but was faithful. And I always say that it's only God that can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line with it. If you are serving Jesus overseas or even locally and you wonder daily if your ministry is making a difference for the kingdom, don't despair. Stand firm. Hang in there. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And before I finish, uh, the same way that the gospel came from America to Africa and got me, today I want to bring the gospel from Africa to America. If you're sitting in this congregation and you don't know Jesus as a personal savior, let me just tell you that God loved the world. He made this world and he made people in his own image. But those people sinned and fell. And uh, now, instead of having a life eternally with God forever, now they are on a trajectory of a life eternally without God. But because of his love and mercy, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe in him, whosoever believes in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And today, just the same way that I put my faith in him in 1993, November, you can put your faith in him today as well. And for those of you who are saved, aren't you glad that you are part of the whosoevers? That we are the, we are the whosoevers that believed, and now we have the right to be called children of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that today the creator of heaven and earth calls us not only his creation, but his sons and daughters. And even Father, humbled by the fact that even though you can save this world with one word out of your mouth, that you have chosen us, even us, to be a small part of what you're doing globally in the world. And so, Father, help us 
to take whatever we have learned today, reach every soul at the point of need. I pray that, Lord, you will fill the hopeless with hope, the loveless with love, and the dead with life. And Father, we know that you still to this day save people. So thank you for the testimonies that we've had this morning and this afternoon. Help us, Lord, to become a light in the world.